So when we put our trust in the Lord, he always makes a way. We looked last week how God made a way for Mark to be restored into a life of ministry through the compassion of his cousin Barnabas. At the same time, we saw how Silas was introduced into a life of ministry through the Apostle Paul. We saw how God made a way for Timothy to begin his journey to becoming one of the most significant leaders in the early church. We also saw how God made a way to bring the gospel to Luke so that Luke could write his gospel. God made a way through differing opinions, through difficult circumstances, through disappointing outcomes. And the reason that is is because there is no barrier that God cannot overcome. This morning, we're going to see how God breaks through to the outsiders, to the oppressed, to those who are overwhelmed. And in each of these encounters, we're going to see and experience for ourselves the life-changing power of belief. And as we do, I want to just in particular this morning, encourage you to consider where you are in this story. And to do that, I want you to think about barriers of belief in your life that become obstacles to your faith. Maybe you don't feel like you fit in, and so the question is, do you believe that you belong? Maybe you are in a situation where you feel like you're trapped in a sinful cycle, and the question is, do you believe you can be set free? Some may be in a situation that seems really hopeless. Do you believe that God can make a way? See, I think we often spend our time, as we should, focusing on characters in the biblical story. But we need to be reminded that we are a part of this story. And their story is our story, and we need to be intentional about entering in to that story. Do you have confidence in the life-changing power of belief? I pray that as we walk through our passage this morning, that you might find in your own life God's ability to overcome any barrier to belief, whatever that might be. So let's ask the Lord to make a way. Father, as we come to you this morning, that's our prayer. Would you make a way? Whatever barrier of belief that becomes an obstacle to our faith, would you show us how in your great power and grace and mercy and goodness, you overcome. And because you overcome by faith and trust in you, we become more than conquerors. Because of you who live within us. Because of your strength and your promises and your truth. Make that very real and evident to us this morning. Show us, Lord, the power of belief. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Turn to Acts chapter 16. And let's uh, pick up where we left off last. Acts chapter 16 and verse 11. Continuing in the story, it says, Therefore, putting out to sea from Traus, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and the day following to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia, a Roman colony. 
and we were staying in this city for some days. I want you to notice how the pronouns have now changed. The team of two, Paul and Silas, has doubled in size. The we very likely includes Paul, and Silas, and Timothy, and now Luke. They've traveled across the Aegean Sea to a city known as Philippi. It tells us here that this was an important Roman colony, which made it very different than most. In fact, Philippi was often called Little Rome. It was a strategic location, had a very unique history, and as a result, it had very special privileges. One of those privileges is that the citizens of Philippi were not required to pay taxes, which in a Roman government that was oppressive taxation, this was an incredible privilege. The citizens of Philippi didn't have to pay taxes. As a military outpost, it was governed by military officers. In fact, Philippi was a city which many Roman soldiers moved to when they retired. So this was a city of the elite, a select group of very proud and powerful Roman citizens. Look at how he continues in verse 13. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to a riverside where we were supposing that there would be a place of prayer and sat down and began speaking to the women who had assembled. And a certain woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening. And the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come. Come into my house and stay. She prevailed upon us. It's interesting here that the city was so populated by the Roman elite, there was no synagogue in Philippi. Jewish law requires that there must be a quorum of at least 10 men to establish a synagogue, but the Jewish population was a, such a minority in Philippi that there was no quorum for that synagogue to be established. So those who believed in God had to gather outside the city for a time of prayer. And anticipating this, Paul arrives early in order to meet with them. And when they arrived, he's probably surprised by the fact that they're all women. These were outsiders, not only in that culture, but apparently even in their own home. This group was led by a woman of influence in that culture. Her name was Lydia from the city of Thyatira. Tells us that she was a seller of purple fabrics. If we were to put that in today's terms, she owns Gucci. That's true. I mean, she is in big business providing fine clothing for the rich and famous in a city of the elite. But despite her wealth and prominence, she is willing to gather with outcasts outside of the city to worship God. And as they're there, they listen as Paul begins to teach and he tells them about how God has fulfilled his promise to bring salvation through the person and work of Jesus Christ. I believe Paul tells them about the miracles Jesus performed, about his message of the kingdom, 
I bet he described the crucifixion in detail and most certainly talked about the road to Damascus when he saw the risen Christ face to face. Now he revealed to him the way of eternal life. What a compelling story of a life transformed by a man who's literally traveled across the world to tell them about it. How compelling it must have been to have listened to this story. But more importantly, it was a story that lined up with what they already knew about God. They were worshipers of God. They knew the Old Testament. And all throughout the Old Testament, it promised a becoming Messiah. A Messiah who would come to forgive sins and that he would forgive those sins with a self-sacrificing love. And so when Paul told them about Jesus, they knew that he was the way. They believed in that truth and that truth transformed their life. God spoke to their hearts. It says that Lydia, along with her entire household, believed. And as an evidence of belief, they were baptized right there in that moment. An an outward expression of an inward conviction of faith in Christ alone. Being overjoyed, it says that Lydia prevailed upon them, meaning she wouldn't take no for an answer. You have to stay in my home. You are welcome here. And so they obliged. Look at how it continues in verse 16. And it happened as they were going to the place of prayer, a certain slave girl, having a spirit of divination, met us, who was bringing her masters much profit by fortune-telling. Following after Paul and us, she kept crying out, saying, these men are bondservants of the Most High God, who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. And she continued doing this for many days, but Paul was greatly annoyed and turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very moment. At first, this scene seems fairly innocent. You have this slave girl who's following Paul and Silas and Luke and Timothy. And as she is following, she's saying things that are actually true. Right? Paul and Silas really are servants of the Most High God. In fact, that's just what happened at Lydia's household. That's the message that he proclaimed. But day after day, this same girl followed them as if to mock them. Because I want you to notice it says that she has a spirit of divination, and it tells us that it gave her the ability to to tell the future. But in the original language, this is more literally described as the spirit of Python. Now, when you think of Python, what do you think think about? A snake. And that's because, according to Greek mythology, Python was a snake. Literally, a dragon who guarded the temple of Apollos. And because that was the culture of that day, and they believed in all these gods, they were certain that this young slave girl had been possessed by the spirit of Python, giving her the power to tell the future. And now she's trying to align herself with the power of the Most High God. 
But in reality, if you look really close at this situation, what you're going to find is that this poor young girl was a victim of abuse. As I thought through this, I thought this is no different than what we see with human trafficking in our world today. This is the powerful, taking advantage of the vulnerable and using it for selfish gain. Allowing the enemy, the deceiver, to get a foothold in their life so that they lose all sense of the dignity and the worth which they were created in the image of God. See, Paul was not annoyed with this young girl. He was annoyed by what enslaved her, which is why he did not tell the young girl to be silent. Instead, he tells the demon to come out. And in that instant, she was set free. And I think maybe for the first time, began to believe the worth and dignity for which she had been created in the image of a loving God who has just released her from bondage. What a blessing. What a miraculous blessing for this young girl, but not for her abusers. Look at how it continues in verse 19. But when her master saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, these men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. I want you to notice, first of all, that the young girl was not enslaved by just one person, but she was the victim of a network of abuse. It says that her masters, plural, they had enough influence apparently to have an audience with the the political elite, the government officials, and I think maybe, just maybe, they had a hand in this network as well. It seems as if the basis of her accusation is primarily racial. They're saying, we are Romans. These are Jews. And these Jews are messing up our Roman way of life. See, they're not really concerned about right and wrong. They're not concerned about the life of the innocent. Their goal is to protect the way they want to live. And I think we need to pause here and not move past that too quickly. Let it be a lesson for us, even in our world today. Because when our personal preferences become an idol, we can lose sight of those who become a victim of our abuse. Sometimes the comforts we crave come at the expense of other people's freedom. So before we stand and demand our rights, let's make sure we're not stepping on people to gain them. Look at how it continues in verse 22. And the crowd rose up together against him, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded in order to beat them with rods. 
And they had inflicted many blows upon them and threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely. Guard them with your life. And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison, the safest place in that prison, and fastened their feet in the stocks. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, (laughs) singing hymns of praise to God. And the prisoners were listening to every word. What a remarkable response to an unjust persecution. Paul and Silas were beaten with rods. They were bloodied. They were abused. They were thrown into prison. But instead of complaining about the injustice, instead of complaining about how unfair this was, They were singing praise to God. They were exalting the one who had the power to rescue them, even if he didn't. And notice, even though it was late at night, even though those conditions had to be miserable, everyone around them listened. They listened to the words of their prayers. They listened to the words of their songs. Because when people express their faith in the midst of difficult situations, others always listen. I remember distinctly when my brother had cancer. And I remember how his faith would grow deeper and stronger as the news grew worse and worse to the point that there was more than one person who walked in and out of that room and said, man, I don't know what it is that this person believes, but I need to understand because that is real. And there were people in our family and friends around us who came to faith in Jesus Christ because of the faith of my brother And the stronger and harder the situation became, the deeper and more sincere his faith became evident to those around him. And that's exactly what's happening here. Look at verse 26. Suddenly there came a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. And when the jailer had been aroused out of sleep and had seen the prison doors opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. He called for the lights and rushed in, trembling with fear. He fell down the feet of Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said to them, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? See, the earthquake alone is already significant enough, but put it into the context of all that has been happening around them, and it becomes even more powerful. Here you have these unknown Jews walking into this city of the elite, proclaiming a message of salvation 
through faith in Christ alone. And there were those who believed in God, who heard that message, who knew the truth of the Scripture, and they understood that what He said was right. And they placed their faith in Jesus Christ. This includes a prominent woman in this city that likely everyone knew. And I just wonder if there were cities that or whispers going throughout this city of her conversion. These very same men had rescued a demon-possessed girl who was deeply oppressed. But it disrupted the status quo of the city. So they started a riot and ended up beating these two men, throwing them in prison, only to find them singing praise and exalting God. See, I'm sure, I'm certain that the jailer knew all of this that was going on around them. I'm sure that he heard those prayers and he heard those songs. And then on top of all that, a ground-shaking earthquake that literally loosed the change and opened every door in that prison. A prison for which he is responsible and will be held accountable. That's why they told him, guard it securely. Guard it with your life. And with every door opens, he assumes that every prisoner will be gone. So he intends to take his own life to avoid the punishment of death. But out of that dark prison, he heard Paul say to him, Stop! Don't do that! We are all here! So he turns on the lights. Now, it wasn't a light switch. It was likely a, a torch. But he had enough light in the room to see that exactly what Paul had said was true. I think in that moment, he remembered the words of the prayers and the songs that he had heard during the night. Prayers of hope, prayers of deliverance, prayers to an all-powerful God. And in that instant, his fear of man turned into a fear of God. When he asks to be saved, he wants to be saved from the judgment of an all-powerful God, a God who makes the ground shake, who makes the demons flee, the one who goes beyond myth and becomes visible, made evident in the lives of the one who believes. When he asks to be saved, he's asking to be saved from the sin of unbelief. What must I do to be saved? I see. I believe. Look at how he continues in verse 31. And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved. You and all your household. I think what Paul tells the Philippian jailer is the very same thing he told Lydia and the other women. Salvation is only possible when Jesus Christ is the object of your faith. That's what Peter proclaims earlier in the book of Acts when he says, there is no other name under heaven, given unto men, by which we can be saved. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And that powerful truth in the jail that day is just as powerful in this room this morning. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. It's a promise. 
promise from the one who makes the ground shake and the demons flee. And he rules with grace and mercy. Look at verse 32. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him together with all who were in his house. And he took them that very hour of the night. The jailer took them that very hour of the night, washed their wounds. Immediately he was baptized, he and his household. And he brought them into the house and set food before them and rejoiced greatly, having believed in God with his whole household. I want you to notice the evidence of his faith through his compassion and obedience. Instead of fearing for his life, he now risked his life by caring for Paul and Silas, the prisoners he was commissioned to guard. Not only did he care for them, he invited them into his home. He washed their wounds. He fed them a meal. It says that they were baptized as an act of obedience. The jailer and his household put their faith in Christ alone, and it was Christ who had given the command. He told his disciples, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now think about what he just said. Who are they baptizing? The disciples. Baptism is an act of obedience for those who believe. And since the jailer and his household believed, they were all baptized. Here's a man, think about this, who moments earlier was going to take his own life because of the fear of man, fear of what others could do to him. Now, this same man risked his life out of his devotion to God. His fear has been transformed by his faith. Look at how it finishes in verse 35. Now when the day came, the chief magistrates sent to their policemen saying, release those men. The jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the chief magistrates have sent to release you. Now therefore, come out and go in peace. But Paul said to them, no. They have beaten us in public without trial, men who are Romans, and have thrown us into prison. And they are now sending us away secretly? No, no. That's not going to happen. But let them come themselves and bring us out. And the policemen reported these words to the chief magistrates, and they were afraid when they heard that Paul and Silas were Roman citizens. They had appealed to them, and when they had brought them out, they kept begging them to leave the city, and they went out of the prison and entered the house of Lydia. And when they saw the brethren, they encouraged them and then departed. So here's what happened. In their prideful arrogance, the magistrates made a terrible mistake. In their effort to protect Roman citizens, they broke Roman law. Because without questioning anything, they beat Roman citizens without a fair trial. And as a result, they could have, if Paul and Silas insisted, lost their jobs because of it. See, those in power were abusing their power, but now Paul and Silas were the ones who had power over them. If they wanted to exercise their rights, they could get these guys in a really bad place, which is why they were so afraid and begging them just to make this go away and leave town. Now, this is just me 
thinking and dreaming as I look at the scripture, but I wonder if maybe this would have happened. We know from Paul's letter that there was a strong Christian church in Philippi. That's the letter to the Philippians. We know that it was at least possible that this church was allowed to exist because of this particular event. Because just moments earlier, there was a riot in town because they didn't want any Christian influence within this Roman society at all. But somehow, it appears that they have changed their mind. Maybe the punishment of Paul and Silas became the protection of Lydia in that Christian church in Philippi. Either way, it's very clear that God made a way for those who believe in him. So I want to go back to the beginning, as I asked you to do, and help you consider the part you might have in this story. Let's start with the women. You don't have to be a woman. It could be a man or a woman, but let's put yourself in that position. Let's say you were one of those who gathered that day outside of the city. Have you ever been in a similar situation where you just didn't fit in? Maybe you don't have the same interests as other people. Perhaps you come from a different culture or a different life experience. Maybe you're single and everyone else is married. Maybe you're married and everyone else has kids and and you don't. Maybe you have a career. Everyone else is in college. Whatever the case may be, you just don't feel like you fit in. Well, here's my question based on our passage this morning. Do you believe that you belong? Do you believe that you belong? Even if you're different, do you still have something important to contribute Because if you put your trust in the Lord, he says clearly that you do. In fact, every person who belongs to God has something that other people need. The Bible is very clear about this. He says that he gives each of his children, each of those who belong to him, a manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. In other words, he has given something to you that is important for those who are around you. To the point that when anyone from within a church withdraws out of the church, the entire church will suffer. Each person has a unique contribution for the common good of everyone else. Recently read a book by Andrew Peterson called Adorning the Dark. It's kind of a memoir. It's a delightful book. I would strongly encourage you reading it. He's much more creative than I am. And so he's describing something similar in a much more creative way. Listen to what he says in his book. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. That's what Jesus said. Jesus says, in my father's house are many rooms. John 14, 2. Andrew goes on and says, could it be that those rooms are inner chambers in the heart of God? Each of which has an individual's name on it. If this is true, and I'd like to believe it is, then all I have to do is tell about my Lord and my God because I know him intimately, uniquely. It may be a revelation, in a sense, of the secret things of the Father. This is part of my calling, to make known the heart of God. And because he holds a special place in his heart for me and me alone, just as he has a special place for you, my story stands a chance to be edifying to my sisters and brothers, 
Just as your story, your insight, your revelation of God's heart is something the rest of us need. You see, you know the things about the heart of God that you need to teach. You need to share with those around you. Do you believe that you belong? Because God says you do. The other one I'd like for you to consider is maybe you feel more like the slave girl. Following Paul and Silas, perhaps you're in a vulnerable situation, maybe even, I pray not, but perhaps a victim of abuse. Or maybe you're just caught in a cycle of sin and you can't seem to break free. You just kind of live under this constant burden of guilt and shame. So the question here for you is, do you believe that you can be set free? Do you believe that he has the power to set you free? The one who makes the ground shake. The one who opens prison doors and releases chains. Can he set you free? It's a passage in Psalm 103. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul. And all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, all my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And he goes on and explains what those benefits are. He says, he forgives all your transgressions. He heals all of your diseases. He rescues your life from the pit. He says, he crowns you with his steadfast love and mercy. And he satisfies your heart with goodness so that your youth may be renewed like the eagles. See, that's a promise. That's a blessing for those who believe. It's a passage that some of us who are going through the regeneration ministry here at church have memorized together. We're learning together that healing can only begin when we admit that we need healing. Because so often in our modern church culture, we try to manage our sin instead of confessing our sin. We try to modify our behavior so that at least everything looks good on the outside when in reality we're crumbling on the inside. The gospel says we only find healing when we're willing to come out of hiding. 1 John 1.7 says, If we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his Son cleanses us from all sin. The gospel invites us to find freedom through Christ's forgiveness and grace. And there are people in this church right now, including the one standing up here talking to you, who is finding great freedom and release from that truth and promise from God. Do you believe you can be set free? Because God says you can. Finally, I want you to think about the Philippian jailer, one who was overwhelmed by fear, by worry, by doubt. Maybe you find yourself in a hopeless situation in which you can't even perceive a possible way out. Overwhelmed, anxious, worried. Those become obstacles. They're barriers to our belief. So the question is, do you believe? Faith has the power to overcome fear. Do you believe? 
was reading a devotional this week that really spoke to this for me personally because this is an area where I live often. It, it talked about how we can often live in the world of what ifs. What if I lose my job? What if I get cancer? What if I let somebody down? What if? What if? What if? And we can create such a list of what ifs, we become overwhelmed by fear and anxiety of things that might be possible but probably will never happen. What if? But in Psalm 23, verse 4, David writes, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you, my God, are with me. The point of this devotional, which really spoke to me, was the power of faith to turn our what if into our even though. Even though I lose my job. Even though I get diagnosed with cancer. Even though I disappoint people that I love, you are with me. You will strengthen me. Your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. It turns our what if into our even though. It is the power of faith to overcome our fear. Do you believe? This morning, we're going to do something a little different as we close. Brian, if you want to go ahead and come up with the team. We're going to spend some time, as we've always done, closing with a song that we want to make into a prayer. And I'm going to close this in prayer after the song. But then we're going to ask people who are just in a hard place. I, Brian mentioned it this morning. We know for a fact that there are people in some difficult situations in our church family. And sometimes it's good just to sit down with somebody and go before the God who makes the ground shake and let our request be made known because we trust in him and we believe together. So if you are in a place where you would be blessed by somebody to just pray with you, we're going to invite you just to stay and come forward and there will be people here who would be glad to do that. We would consider it an honor. You prayed for me this morning. It's only right that I return the favor for you. So if that would be a blessing to you, great. If not, it's okay. Just make your way out and have a conversation out in the foyer while we spend time in prayer together this morning, okay? Let's stand together. We are a kingdom of priests called to love and care for one another. And so as I close in prayer, there may be somebody who is with you that you want to just grab by the hand and say, hey, come pray together. We'll be glad to pray for you and with you. And we would welcome that opportunity. But you may want to bring somebody with you and just pray together. We're just going to make this a place of prayer and finish our time together this morning. So if that would be important to you, please make your way. Let's pray together. Lord, we trust in you and we know that we are often in places where we need to grow in that trust. We need to turn to you and believe. We need to see faith overcome our fears we need to believe that you can remove any barrier that becomes an obstacle to our faith because you are great and mighty and good. Full of mercy, full of love, and certainly full of forgiveness. Put on display on the cross as you sacrificed on our behalf. So Father, as we close our time, we're going to come to you in prayer and trusting ourselves to you, the lover of our soul. We pray this in your name. Amen.